That's yeah, what I find really odd about it. Yeah, it's not just the insistence that autonomy is central to being able to do your duty. It's that you can only be autonomous through doing your duty. Yes. Right? Uh, which I think is really unusual. And I have to say, I do think that Kant is cognizant of this meta-ethical problem, right? Uh, but the ways that he solved it aren't particularly satisfying to a lot of contemporary philosophers because you really see him uh, try to work out why you should do your duty, what can motivate you to do your duty, uh, mm -hmm. in the critique of practical reason. Uh, and Nietzsche satirized this, I think, very effectively because in the critique of pure reason, you know, he kind of banishes God, the immortality of the soul and all that other stuff to the ether and says, you know, we can know nothing about it. But now in the critique of practical reason, uh, they all come back, uh, not mm -hmm. just in cameo, but in starring roles. And he says, well, but as moral postulates, uh, we, can put, we can bring these back because it's necessary for us to be motivated uh, to do our duty uh, in the hope that this will cash itself out in some way in the end, right? Mm -hmm. uh, now, yeah. whatever you think about that, you know, there's a lot of theologians I know who tend to like this. I think if you're a modern secular philosopher, uh, you're going to be like, eh? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so just to just to to back up a little bit, you know, to make make sure people get the how these ideas related to each other. Uh, so, so Kant's so Kant has this this idea. You know, the, so autonomy is when you're acting on ends you give for yourself. You know, heteronomy is is when you're acting from ends that come out from outside of you. Okay, sounds reasonable. Uh, somehow, though, uh, acting autonomously means that you're following uh, these these uh, very rigid, uh, you know, universal moral rules, and you know, and, and not coming to any of the conclusion, which which sounds uh, which sounds crazy. I mean, if anything, like with the. Uh, uh, a more natural way to ca like to cash out the initial intuitive explanation would be like the opposite, right? You know, mm -hmm. that if you're, you know, that, that if you're uh, acting, you know, morally, right, surely that's, you know, that's heteronymous, you know, it's, it's this thing that's, that's outside of you. It's that, you know, super ego society thing, you know, that there's some sort of like Nietzschean, you know, Aleister Crowley, do what you will thing that, you know, that would be more like, you know, acting autonomously. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but what I think it's interesting to see, you know, and I mean, I, I could definitely like looked at at the right angle, you know, held up to the right light at the right angle. I could definitely have that reaction to it, that it feels a little bit like the, you know, one of the slogans of the party in 1984, right. You know, that uh, say that, you know, that, that, that freedom is acting on, you know, the categorical imperative. <laughs> uh, but, um, but it is interesting to, to look at how it gets there, which is that you yeah. have. So, uh, the, cause I think there's like a, core of the idea that sounds a lot more intuitively plausible than than maybe where he ends up with it uh which is so which is to say like you start to think about the kinds of things that he would think of as acting heteronymously uh so certainly um if you're um like michael sandell who i'm uh, i'm not a fan of the the one uh, book i read by him but you know but he does have some good lectures on this stuff uh, that you can find on YouTube. And, you know, he has a nice example about the old Sprite ad that says obey your thirst, you know, it's, it's like a, you know, nice obvious demonstration of the, the content idea there yeah. uh, that, uh, that you have, you're being pulled around by these, these, these impulses that, you know, you certainly don't decide on, you know, mm -hmm. hunger, thirst, lust, whatever uh, that that's, you know, that's acting uh, heteronymously and maybe even like, you know, a little less obvious, but I think there's a way to put this that makes it sound plausible if you're being guided even by like uh, sort of the values that you happen to be culturally indoctrinated in uh, that's acting heteronymously mm -hmm. that, you know, that you're, it's this thing that comes from outside of yourself. Uh, and so, so what's, what is it that 
counts as coming from inside yourself in a way that matters. And Kant would say reasoning. And there's a, and again, I think there's a like way to think about that, that doesn't sound, um, that sounds sort of plausible. I mean, like some of the most sophisticated, uh, you know, contemporary accounts of, of free will, like John Martin Fisher, you know, say like really emphasize the idea that the kind of, of control over our actions that uh, we should maybe care most about or do care most about the kind that seems most obviously relevant to moral responsibility has to do with the idea, our ability to weigh reasons for and against, you know, course of action rather than just act on impulse uh, that, you know, like we, we think of like free will or self-control as something that separates us from other kinds of animals. And, and that seems to be, you know, most plausibly what that is. Uh, but then the tricky part is that it's not just, you know, weighing reasons or acting on reasons. It's that the only thing that can count as like, uh, as, as pure, uh, you know, reasoning, you know, is acting on, uh, you know, pure practical reason uh, is if you are like, you know, basically, you know, he thinks that even though it's only, you're only acting freely and if you get something on the basis of law, you give yourself that if you think about it carefully enough, uh, the only law you can give yourself is the categorical imperative. And if you come to any other conclusion, it's like, uh, it's like getting the wrong answer to a math problem. So, you know, if you, uh, if you're just using your reasoning and nothing else, you'll get you'll get the right answer. And mm-hmm. if you got the wrong answer, it must be something other than your reasoning pulling you, you know, pulling you astray. Mm-hmm. And um, so, in a way, that sort of makes sense on its own terms, even though the idea that like the categorical imperative is just something that's like just pops out of of like you know reason you know, uh, like a feed out of the head of Zeus, you know, that uh, it just <laughs> yeah. doesn't really like, the more you think about that, like I, I would argue the less, the less sense that makes. It's like, no, it's not, you know, it's not actually inconsistent, right? Not to, uh, yeah. not to only act on, you know, on a, on a law that could be the, you know, on a maxim that could be the basis of, of a universal law. I mean, if you're already committed to that principle, right, then, then, mm-hmm you know, maybe it's inconsistent, but like, I don't, I don't really, I've never really seen where pure consistency is supposed to get you that principle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to be of the school of thought that, you know, there's a deep elective fi- affinity between all elements of Kantian thought, uh, even if they don't necessarily systematically cohere. Uh, and my, in my kind of experience, um, the people who tend to be inspired by Kant tend to break Kantian morality, tend to break into kind of two schools. Uh, one is a school of thought you can associate with people like George Kateb, right, where they're arch individualists uh, and they tend to stress the importance of autonomy. Uh, and they tend to gravitate towards the second formulation of the Kantian uh, categorical imperative for that reason, right? Uh, and I should say that I include myself in that group, right? Uh, the other category of people tend to be um, much more focused on this notion of rules as the basis uh, for moral behavior. Uh, and you see people like Strawson uh, or Parfit kind of gravitate towards this approach, right? That morality should take the form of rules of some sort, right? They never really agree with them about what those should be, but they tend to, you know. Sorry, I, I think I got the first one, but give, give me the first one again. The first uh, kind of group of uh, Kantian inspired theorists, I should say, is tend to focus on his individualism and his emphasis on autonomy. Oh, and yeah. consequently, they tend to like the second formulation, the categorical imperative, and kind of foreground it more uh, than the first one, right? This mm-hmm. emphasis on always treat human beings never merely as a means, but always as an ends in themselves, right? Since that's pretty centrally loca- uh, associated with autonomy. 
Uh, yeah. And the kind of connection I would draw between the two, uh, Qua Ben, is that uh, there is an elective affinity between these two ideas in the sense that Kant does seem to suggest that uh, there's something really noxious uh, about being good, uh, either because you feel compelled to because of social pressures uh, or because you're being coerced into doing so you know, by state institutions or whatever, right? Uh, and he says, you know, if you think about this, if I hold a gun to your head uh, and I tell you, you know, go help the poor, yeah. you know, there's something about this that seems to de likes to vulgarize uh, or take away the moral worth of that act, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, you know, that's intuitively plausible. Totally, uh, so yeah. he says, you know, to a yeah. certain extent, you know, if we want people to be good, or even in the Aristotelian sense, to act virtuously, it has to be something that they choose to do for themselves. Uh, otherwise, it's polluted in this sense, uh, which is also a term Sandel uses. This has been a free public preview of a patron-exclusive episode of Give Them an Argument. To get the rest of this episode and every other patron-exclusive episode, go to patreon.com slash Ben Burgess.